A reading from Mark, chapter 10. And they were bringing the children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked him. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at these words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. This is the word of the Lord. So we come to this passage. Mark chapter 10. We're continuing our series through the gospel of Mark to look at the life of Jesus. And we're in the middle section of Mark's gospel. And we've noticed already this is a section full of central key lessons to discipleship for what it means to follow Jesus. And tonight, this passage is about the danger of wealth. It's about the danger of wealth. No less than three times, if you look in verses 23 through 25, Jesus stresses how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God for those who have wealth. He warns us about this danger, how difficult it is, And he even goes almost as far as to say in verse 25 that it's impossible in this rather strange saying about a camel going through the eye of a needle. This passage is about the danger of wealth. And we've already seen this theme emerge or appear in Mark's gospel earlier. If you remember the parable of the sower in chapter 4, where Jesus 
towards the end of this parable, talking about the different kinds of seed that fall in the uh, or the seed that falls in the different kinds of soil, and he describes one of those soils like this. He says, "There are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of, for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful." If we could take what Jesus says there and put it in our own words, here's one way I would try to do it. It says, if Jesus is saying to us, if you find me and my gospel irrelevant or inadequate, have you ever seriously considered the place of wealth in your life? What Jesus is saying to us in this passage and and even back in chapter 4 in that parable is, Have you ever considered that maybe, whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, the trouble you might have with Christianity may very well reside in the role of wealth, possessions, money in your life? So I want us to see three things about the danger of wealth from this passage. I want us to look at the hidden objection of wealth, I want to look at the relational hostility of wealth. And then we'll finish with the gift of a new kind of wealth. So first, let's consider this idea of the hidden objection of wealth. Uh, There are many objections that people have uh, towards Christianity. Some uh, folks really struggle with the problem of evil and suffering in the world. Some people really struggle with uh, what they, they call the, the exclusive claims of Christianity. Some look at the history and track record of the church and on that basis object to it and reject it. But I, I would, it'd be an interesting experiment. My guess is if you went and looked at most books that are written to address people's major questions or objections upon which they either accept or reject Christianity, wealth will not be in there. But look with me here. In this encounter with, Jesus, with, with this rich young man, and this story appears in, in the other Gospels, Matthew and Luke, or in Luke, which if you've heard of this story before is the rich young ruler, and, and you combine the ways in which the different Gospel writers refer to this character, that's where we get that reference to him as the rich young ruler. But here he's referred to as this rich young man. And in verse 22... Listen to what happens after he encounters Jesus. He walks away. He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The reason this man walks away from Jesus isn't because he doesn't think it's true, or he doesn't think the Bible is reliable, or he can't resolve the the tensions and Uh, irreducible problems of evil and suffering, he walks away because he has great possessions. What I want you to see here is this is an objection to Jesus that is hidden. It's under the surface. How do you know that? Well, look at how he comes to Jesus. He comes to Jesus with this question of questions If you read through the gospel, 
you get to this encounter and you're like, finally, somebody asked Jesus the question that no one else is asking. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answers him and says, well, you know what the law is. You know what it is to follow and obey God. And the man says, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Here is this man that Jesus comes to Jesus with these great questions, cares greatly about living a moral life, and yet he has no idea about this hidden objection to the Son of God. It's not until Jesus, in verse 21, looks at him and he says, you lack one thing. And the the previous desire and interest in coming to Jesus to have his answer, his question answered, and his self-assurance, all these I've kept from from my youth, are no longer there. He's no longer self-assured. Jesus has brought to the surface an underlying, unnoticed, unacknowledged cancer. And I want you to see how significant this is for us. It's particularly relevant here for someone who cares about God's answers to life's big questions and cares deeply about living life as God commands. In other words, this objection, as much as any other, on the face of this story, is most significant for religious people. That's what we have here in this rich young man. He, if we borrow from the other Gospels as a rich young ruler, it's entirely possible that he was a synagogue ruler. That he was a respected, wealthy leader in the community. And I don't have a lot of time to talk about the Bible's view of wealth and possessions as a whole tonight, but one thing worth mentioning is the Bible has a very positive view of wealth. Look at Abraham. Look at David. Look at Solomon. In in fact, wealth in the Bible is often viewed as a blessing from God. It meant you were blessed. Here is this man who is a religious person who cares about life's big questions and what God has to say, and he has no idea of the one thing that he lacks. It's a hidden objection. It's hidden in the depths of his heart, and he has no idea it's there. Religious, dutiful, interested as he may be. So given this hidden danger, how can you tell if you have this problem? Or if you are in danger, let's look at how this story unfolds and how Jesus interacts with this man to to see or even to test ourselves. There's relational hostility here. Let let me show you what I mean. The first way that we, we can begin to see how does wealth, what's the role of wealth, how does it play out in your own life? Look what happens. In verse 21... Jesus, Mark tells us that Jesus, looking at him, 
loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And the man walks away. So how do you know, how can you tell if you are in danger? The first way you can tell is the danger of wealth blinds you to the love of Jesus. Do you see what happens here? This is the only time in Mark's gospel where it is recorded that Jesus loved someone. And it is the strongest word that one could use to express love here. It's a word that is almost universally reserved for describing God's love. It's a perfect love. He looks at this man and he loves him. And the man walks away. But not only does, is he blind to the love of Jesus, he's blind to the truth of Jesus. Here Jesus, looking at him, loving him, speaks a word of truth into his life. He says, you lack one thing. He's drawing out his heart. He's exposing him. Not to shame him or throw him under the bus, but to love him. And this man's wealth blinds him to the much-needed truth of Jesus for his life. But not only that, he's blinded to the, to the promises of Jesus. When he says, no doubt, an incredibly hard thing, not just for him to hear, but for us to hear, sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And then Jesus makes these promises. You will have treasure in heaven. And come be with me. Come and have a relationship with me. So here, the first way you can tell is, is your heart cold towards Jesus? Is his love fall flat? Do you chafe at or resist or even get angry at the words of Jesus that though they may pierce and even wound, they're words of gracious truth? Or are you blind to the promises of Jesus? That he would never leave you and he will never forsake you. That he would gladly enter into a relationship with you. But not only does this danger of wealth uh, make itself known in how we respond to the love of Jesus, but this blindness to the love of Jesus, it also corresponds to our attitude towards the poor. Notice what we see here. When Jesus addresses this man, and Jesus says, give, sell what you have and give it to the poor, the man walks away. He's disinterested. He's unconcerned. He has great possessions, and he will not let them go. His refusal or his disinterest or indifference toward Jesus is reflected not just vertically, if we will, towards God, but horizontally toward his neighbor. Now, why is this a problem? The reason it's a problem is because, as we'll see, in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17, we read this verse, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. In other words, God identifies with the poor.
And we've seen in the past few weeks, Jesus, he actually says earlier, we looked at in Mark chapter 9, when he says, whoever receives a child receives me. And if you remember, we talked about what does that mean? The metaphor of a child is a way of talking about the lowest person, the lowest place of status in the social scale. A person who has nothing to commend themselves. They have no power, no standing, no status, no wealth. And Jesus says, if you receive someone like that, it's like receiving me. It's almost exactly what we read in Proverbs. Jesus, what he's telling us here is that the way that you treat the poor is how you treat me. So not only does this danger of wealth make itself known in how you respond to the love of Jesus, but also in how we respond to the poor. So therefore, the danger here in this passage is is really not the danger of wealth. It's not wealth itself or wealth in and of itself. It's not nowhere in the Bible does it say it's sinful to have wealth. But rather the problem, the danger is the heart that cannot let it go. The danger is the heart that naturally follows after the wrong treasure. That's what this rich young ruler shows us. He had great possessions. He's disheartened. And it's actually not just that he's sad or disappointed. That that word translated uh, disheartened means to be shocked at this message, to be appalled even at this message, that the Son of God would conceive of life this way, that someone of his standing, of his moral example, would have to do what he's saying. The danger here of wealth is not wealth itself, but it's the heart that's in love with it that sets its affection on it. And here, Jesus, a number of times in the Gospels, comes at this problem of the heart in any number of ways. For example, we, in our call to worship, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So when Jesus here says, you will have treasure in heaven, if it's true that the heart follows after the treasure... To say that your, your treasure in, is in heaven is to say that your heart is set on the things of heaven, the things of God, the things that are eternal, where moth and rust cannot destroy. To say that your heart is set on the treasures of this world, that is simply to say that you're following after the treasures, good though they may be, that really only last this side of heaven. The danger here is that we would think that this is not our problem. Jesus elsewhere says, no one can have two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus is, this is a severe mercy of a passage. There is no both and in following Jesus when it comes to your deepest, most loyal affections. 
what you love from the heart. It is an either-or proposition from Jesus. You will either hand him your life and follow after him wherever he calls, or you will choose some other path. And there's no mixing the two. And what is particularly, I think, striking here is how difficult, even impossible it is to deal with this problem of wealth, the danger of wealth. When Jesus says again three times how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom. And then his disciples, hearing this in verse 26, say, they were, Mark says, they were exceedingly astonished. Because, for example, if, if this rich guy this synagogue ruler with this kind of life can't be saved, then who can be? Now, I think it's very important to notice here the difference of question. In the first part of this passage, the the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then the disciples, after seeing this encounter and hearing Jesus' teaching, say, who then can be saved? Have you ever asked that question? Have you ever thought of yourself that way? It's impossible for me to do anything to inherit eternal life. That's where everyone has to start. Who can be saved if what Jesus is saying is true? It's impossible. And then Jesus says, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. This relational hostility of wealth, the way that we respond to his love, the way we respond to the poor, brings us to one conclusion that the disciples help us to see. Do not make the mistake of thinking that you can handle the danger of wealth in your own life on your own. Now this is true whether you are wealthy or you are absolutely not wealthy because If you think about it, you don't have to have a lot of money to be mastered and owned by wealth. You may long for it, you may crave for it, you may spend every waking moment trying to get it, and you might not have very much. Or you might have a lot of money, and you might have relative peace and security. How do you know your security is not in your money? rather than in Jesus. This is a sticky one. It's tricky. But Jesus here is telling us, do not think you are beyond the problems of this or the danger of this, and especially don't think that you are able to navigate your way out of it on your own. So then, if it's as as impossible as Jesus says it is for, for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom, what has to happen in order for us to overcome this danger? Well, we need a gift. We need a gift of a new kind of wealth. And in particular, an exchange needs to take place. An exchange needs to take place of one kind of wealth for another. So look here. When Jesus speaks to this man in verse 21, he essentially says, sell all that you have. Come follow me. What Jesus is saying to him, he is offering himself as a substitute for this man's wealth. 
for this man's possessions. Sell all you have. Come follow me. In other words, break up your relationship with your earthly possessions, your wealth, your status, and align yourself with me. Give your life to me. An exchange has to happen. And it's an exchange that has to happen at the level of the heart. There's no amount of philanthropy that can take care of this. There's no amount of nonprofit work that can deal with this. The only thing that can deal with this danger is that the heart must discover a better treasure. Our love for money, for wealth, for, for possessions has to get displaced by something better, something more beautiful, a treasure more desirable. And it's simply not enough to work on your will and say, I'm not going to love money. It's simply not enough to hear stories that work on the emotions about other people's plight. You actually need your heart to shift its allegiance and affection at the deepest levels of your being. And now, here's how does that happen? Well, in the gospel, Jesus does for us what we should do but cannot do. When Jesus here calls this rich young ruler to sell all that he has and give it to the poor, he can't do it. He's incapable of doing it. But notice what we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul here is talking about the, the, the gospel. He's talking about the work of Jesus as it applies to our money. And he says this. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. How can your heart, your heart's affections for wealth, be displaced by the gospel, by the grace of God? Well, here it is. Here, the only way that can happen is if your heart and mind become so enamored with what Jesus has done that though he was rich, though he was equal with God, is equal with God, gave up all of his kingly wealth to become a human being, to be born in a major, to a poor family, to be rejected and despised and forsaken and crucified as a criminal with nothing but rags on his body. He became poor so that by his poverty you might become rich. In other words, he has come to enter into your poverty. He has come to enter into the reality that you cannot save yourself from the dangers of this problem. And yet, the gospel promises to you that you might become rich. It's an entirely different kind of wealth. It's a wealth that is eternal. 
but it's also a wealth that is present. Notice what Peter says to Jesus in the midst of this. In verse 28, he says to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. You you get a sense here, I think, from Peter that he's panicking. How do we know, Jesus, that we've left our homes, we've left our work, we've come to follow you? How can we know? What will happen How, if we come after you? And Jesus, in verses 29 to 31, basically what he says in these few verses, he makes you a promise. He makes you a promise. That if you receive his grace, if you let his poverty replace and renew you, if you allow his poverty to transform you, his suffering and his death and his resurrection, and you receive his wealth, his love, his promises, his assurances, it won't matter what you face. In other words, what Jesus is saying to us in verses 29 to 31, you can lose your home, you can lose your family, you can lose your children, you can lose your friends for his sake and the gospel. And he will more than make up for it. One of the ways he does that right now is the church. That the church is a family made up of friends, of new brothers and sisters, of new mothers and fathers, of new children. That Jesus has promised that he will more than make up for it, not just in this life, but in the life to come. Do you believe that? Do you believe that if you, asking his help by grace, set your heart on him and his riches and do battle with him, asking him to help you to see the blessings and wealth that he gives you, not for yourself, but for the good of other people. Do you believe that he will take care of you? No matter what happens, do you see in the cross and resurrection of Jesus the guarantee that he is and that he will? That's what he wants you to see. See, this passage, as I said, it's, it's, a, it's a severe mercy. It's a, the danger of wealth is not unique to anyone. It's hidden. It reveals our response to Jesus and the poor especially. And it shows us that we're helpless and that we need him to intervene. And the good news is that he has. See, putting our lives under the microscope of this passage, it may in fact be the doorway for many of us, if not all of us, to discover the beauty and the power of the gospel in ways that perhaps we never have before. That's certainly Jesus' desire for you. Let's ask him together. Let's pray to him together that he would make it so. Father, we pray that as we reflect on this passage, we pray that your spirit would humble us where we need to be humbled. That you would help us to see the ways in which wealth uh, reveals itself in our own lives in ways that um, 
in many ways act like a rejection of you and, and even a dismissal of others. Father, we pray that you would rescue us. We confess we cannot do it on our, on our, on our own, but you say that what is impossible for us is in fact well within your power and you are delighted to turn us away from our misplaced trust, even of really great things, and to show us how the gospel is sweeter, is better, it's more beautiful, it is in fact life itself. So Father, please, for your glory and for our good, would you make it so? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.